Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everyone to the Find Your Leadership Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Nethling, coming to you from Roswell, Georgia. The goal of this podcast is to share topics and guests that will empower you to grow as a confident leader and take you or your business to the next level. Today, I'm so pleased to have my guest, Kim Sorrell. Let me tell you a little bit about her. So she's an entrepreneur, the director of humanitarian organization called, oh, excuse me, a popular speaker and author of two books. Her first book is Cry Until You Laugh. Boy, could I appreciate that one. And it's about her breast cancer journey and her husband's battle with pancreatic cancer after being diagnosed just four months apart. We could do a whole podcast on that event. Her second book, Love Is, chronicles her year-long quest to figure out the true meaning of love, a sometimes funny, sometimes scary, always enlightening journey that led to life-changing discoveries found mostly in the streets of Haiti. Please join me in welcoming my guest, Kim Sorrell. Thank you so much, Vicki. I am so excited to be here with you. And I wrote down what your, t- your title was, but I don't know where I stuck it. So let's just go to say, um, oh, the four-letter word that will rock your world. What a great title. The four-letter word that will rock your world. Yeah, I told you this is going to be a great interview. All right. So let's get started. I always start with a simple question to kind of break the ice. And so I'd like you to just tell the audience what part of the country you call home. I am in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's uh, in West Michigan, the opposite side of the state from Detroit. Nearly. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. My, my visits to Michigan were in my, when I worked for Arby's corporate office as a construction coordinator. And I went there in the winter. And there was a line on the building, like above the window. And I said, what's that line? That's the snow line. I wrote Michigan, never home. (laughs) I'm never going to live there. (laughs) Well, you know, I think even people who live in Michigan don't really want to be in Michigan in the winter. (laughs) Oh, my. Okay. So I would love for you to talk to us about your journey that took you through surviving cancer. It's such a scary topic, but I'd love for you to share with us that journey. Sure. Yeah, it it was no Lifetime movie. I can tell you that. It was no moment of the doctor calling and wanting a consult in the office with my husband. And, you know, that big moment, it was a Friday afternoon phone call. The biopsy's in, you have breast cancer. We'll talk to you on Tuesday. (laughs) And I was like, oh my God. What is that about? I don't know anything about breast cancer. I don't know what to expect. I went to ah. the bookstore. There was nothing, you know, everything is medical oh, or 
or depressing. Yeah. And uh, I just didn't know which way to turn or what to think at that moment. And so I learned a whole lot in a hurry. Like you have a lot of choices to make. Everything is not so completely cut and dry. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to put together something so that other people going through breast cancer would know what to expect yeah. a bit. And so I started writing and, uh, and four months after I was diagnosed then my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And Which is such a scary, scary diagnosis. Oh yeah. It's the, it's the worst, but you know, what's interesting about it mm -hmm. is that there are so many cancers that have hope. There are so many that people can fight and battle and overcome. And then there's some very few that they just don't know enough about yet. Yeah. There just isn't a chemo out there. There's just not anything out there that can really attack it. Or it, it sneaks up on you that you don't know it until it's to stage four. Right, right. Yeah. When I was diagnosed September, I was 47 years old and, uh, my husband, by the end of the month, was having stomach issues and went to the doctor. Oh, take some Tums. You know, it's just because of your wife. Jeez. And then went back in November. Oh, yeah, take Rolaids, but I'll, you know, get you to a gastro person. Went to the gastro person in January and was told the same thing. Um, and so I, I said, this is ridiculous. Like, somebody's got to figure out what's going on with you. You know your own body and you've got to yeah. be your own advocate and you've got to be advocates for each other. And so a week after his gastro appointment, I woke up and he was awake in pain. And I said, that's it, go to the ER. And I had just had a hysterectomy, full oh. hysterectomy because of my cancer, had hormone receptors, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I was still recovering from my double mastectomy and then had this hysterectomy and they found bladder cancer. And so I'm oh, recovering. God. And, and so I made him drive himself to the emergency room, poor guy. And he was a rule follower. And at that time you could not use your cell phone in the emergency room. So he did not. So I could not contact him. Oh, and finally nice. he called me and he said, I guess they're going to keep me overnight. And I'm like, keep you overnight. They don't keep anybody overnight. What are you talking about? And so I put on clothes for the first time in a week and I, I drove like a bat out of hell in my Vicodin-induced state, I drove like <laughs> a crazy woman down the freeway. And I was almost <laughs> to the hospital and my phone rang again. And he said, I guess there's a spot on my liver. Mm. I'm like, spot on your liver? I just started bawling. Yeah. I was bawling. I don't remember running into the hospital. I just, I know that I must have asked him where to find my husband. And I ran back holding all parts of my body and he was behind a curtain and I whipped open the curtain and he was just sitting on the edge of the bed. Like nothing was going on. And I'm sobbing, sobbing, heaving, sobbing. And he said, listen, I am not going to invite you out anymore. If this is the way you're going to behave. <laughs> I said, listen, buddy, you are not allowed to be funny right now. It took a few days to get his diagnosis, but we know what that diagnosis is. Yeah. And so we knew that barring a miracle, yeah, that we didn't have that much time. Yeah. And so we had just six weeks and we had a wonderful six weeks, a great time together. And there's something about, 
I don't know, the peace and knowing that you can't fight it. Yeah. You know, there's so many people that battle, 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 and end up leaving yes. us anyway. Yeah, the and, acceptance of it, enjoying those last moments. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So we had a great six weeks. He was a wonderful guy. Mm. He was fabulous. He was six foot three to my five foot one frame. <laughs> I swore I'd marry only a tall man because my mother married a short man. I wanted to give my kids a shot. <laughs> But so I, you know, still got to go through stuff after losing him. And, um, yeah, it was very. Yeah, because you were still in recovery. Yeah. Your major operation. Right. Yeah. And I was still facing more surgery and and more medical stuff. Yeah. And uh, so it was about nine months after he passed away that I was finally done with all of my stuff. And I just questioned love because I was in love with that man. We were married for, I got married when I was 18 years old. I was going to be the first woman president. I had my life laid out before me. And then this six foot three handsome dark man walked in the room. That's right. (laughs) All of that left the room. I I just wanted to be with him and that was it. And so um, I got married when I was 18 and we were in love until the day he died. And we were married for almost 29 years. And um, it was great. I mean, we, it was a, it was great. I had it better than most people have it their whole lives. And so I don't expect to have it again though. Um, the, uh, as they say, the water is very shallow. (laughs) And so (laughs) I think I'm destined to be alone for the rest of my life, but I'd rather be alone and happy than with somebody I shouldn't be with. Yeah. Yeah. But so, um, so I, but I question love. I question the reality of it and and the truth of it. And it's not like you go to the store, go to the bookstore, and there's a manual on love yeah, yeah. or love for dummies, right? <laughs> so you figure out love as you go along, and you're taught love by your parents, your grandparents, whoever's in your life, and everything we're taught about love isn't necessarily love, and things done in the name of love aren't necessarily love. Yeah. And so I thought I. I want to figure this out. You know, it's been a mystery for years and years and years. Like, I want to figure this out. And so I took this 2,000-year-old poem that you hear at every wedding. I think love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, your eyes glaze over because we've heard it so many times. But I took it one word at a time to figure out what is love that is patient? What is love that is kind? And most of the time I was in Haiti which mm. was an interesting place to, to do this. And yeah, so, how did you get to Haiti? Well, when I was finally able to go back to work physically, mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if I was going to go back into my businesses. I had a son that took over uh, running my businesses for me. And so I wasn't sure if I was going to go back there or back full-time into the nonprofit world that I'd been a part of and then mm-hmm. had to step down from when I was diagnosed and I uh, decided that I was going to take it slow. And I became part-time bookkeeper for a nonprofit organization that my dad had started. And I started on January 1 with nice, clean books. And 12 days later, there was an earthquake in Haiti that killed 200,000 just... people. Yes. So two yeah. weeks later, two weeks after that, I was there. And then every month for several years after that, I spent at least part of the month in Haiti. That was an impactful event. I had somebody that worked with me at the corporate office and 
he was from Haiti and had family still there. And it just so um, moved him that he had to do something that he left the company. He went to New York, hooked up with somebody to help rebuild in mm-hmm. Haiti. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, um, it's, it's very hard to describe because the devastation was so great. So yeah. many buildings that not built by our standards, you know, yeah. or our other countries' standards. And so they crumbled. Then yeah. there was debris everywhere and so many people died and so many mm-hmm. people were injured. And it, it was, it was such devastation. And so I was working over there and I started my, my year long journey a couple years into mm-hmm. dealing with the earthquake. And um, cause I really wanted to figure it out. And so I started each chapter with what I think it means, you know, we know what patience is, right? So what I think love is patient is. Mm. And then I tell the story of what happens in Haiti that brings me to the conclusion. And I was chased by a motorcycle gang. I got lost on a mile high mountain in the dark. I uh, slept outside with the tarantulas and snakes and chupacabras or whatever it is lurking (laughs) in the bushes in Haiti. And so I had some pretty interesting experiences, some knocks over the head to really figure out which each one of those words meant. Wow. So what was it like reliving that, um, you know, those years, that time, I guess, really, um, when you wrote your book, that first book, was it painful? Was it kind of making closure? It was, it, I wrote as, as the days went by. So I started writing when I was diagnosed mm-hmm. and then I just continued to write and I was writing when my husband was diagnosed and I actually wrote as emails to go out because it was that number of years ago that it wasn't like a Facebook post, you know? So it was an email that I sent out to people. And before I knew it, 5,000 people were reading my emails. And I wrote kind of when I felt like it, there wasn't a real pattern to my writing, but I'd write once a week, once every other week, you know, or a couple of times another week, whatever it Mm -hmm. was. But so I wrote through my husband's diagnosis and through losing him. And I wrote right up until the time I left for Haiti. And it was very healing. Um, it was very good therapy uh, because I was telling myself these things yeah. as I was writing them. And so it was as if a therapist was sitting right across the room from me and I was telling all my deep, dark feelings and secrets and what was going on in my mind and my heart at the time. And by sharing that, you really developed a community, which I think is so important whenever you're going through something like that. You can't oh. do it alone. If you do it alone, you could get lost. Oh, my word. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's like anything, anything that we go through, you know, every day, I believe every day leads us to today, right? Mm-hmm. So all of our experiences, everything that we've gone through, we can either wallow in yeah. self-pity or we can do something good with it, you know, so the, and the best thing we can do is help others that are going through the same thing. Yeah. 
you know, we all have our list of things that we've gone through in life and nobody can relate to anybody like someone who's actually gone through it. We can empathize, we can sympathize, we can try to be in their shoes, but unless you've gone through it, you're, you're really not there. You really can't be. Yeah. So to use those things that we've been through to help others that are going through it. Yes. I mean, right. Absolutely. So how do you think love played a role in going through those tough times? Well, it's an interesting thing. As I met more women that had lost their husbands, because you you know how when you're pregnant, anyone who's ever been pregnant. Everybody's pregnant. Right. (laughs) Everybody's pregnant. You go to the mall, all you see are pregnant women. Yeah. Everybody decided to have a baby at the same time you're having a baby, right? So the same thing, like, you know, everybody's lost their husband. Like I met so many women that had lost Mm. their husbands, some with little kids, you know, some my age, some older, you know, whatever, but had lost their partner, you know, their, their love. And so uh, what I discovered, I don't know that this is true across the board, and this isn't a scientific study. This is just a Kim study, (laughs) but it seemed like the people who struggled in their relationship struggled more in their grief. Uh. Maybe there's regret. I think I think regret mm-hmm. must play a big part in it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So um, so in that way, um, I believe in an afterlife. Mm-hmm. And I believe that it's great and wonderful and all things good and yeah. happy. And so I am happy for my husband who was so faithful and true and wonderful to me. Um, I'm happy that at 51 years old, he got to go to that great place and never pay another bill, (laughs) (laughs) never get the flu again, never have a cough or a cold, (laughs) right? (laughs) Or never feel the pain that he was feeling in those last months. Yes, absolutely. Never feel the pain. Or weeks, not even months. So if you could tell us just one thing that we should do now to change our lives to um, to love and how we are loved how, what what should we do to really recognize love and how we love people well there are 14 words in that poem and the very first one love is patient and I thought I knew what patience was, right? I mean, you're not honking your horn when you're stuck in traffic. You're not <laughs> stomping your foot because you're ready to go and they're not ready to go. And that was patient. But what I figured out is you put love is or love is not in front of any word. It totally changes the meaning. And so love that is patient, I believe you're supposed to love everybody. Mm-hmm. So when you love with love that is patient, you recognize that this moment right here, right now is the most important moment of your life. What's in the past is in the past. What's in the future is yet to come. And for me, mm-hmm. um, and maybe other people out there, but for me, I was always distracted in conversation because I was always thinking ahead of, oh gosh, <laughs> I've got this meeting later tonight and then I've got to stop and I've got to get milk and thought that I was still in the conversation but you weren't, I wasn't, I wasn't fully engaged. So to stop and clear your mind and not think of the future or the past, but truly be in the moment, then you really listen to the words that are said. Mm -hmm. 
and you're not waiting with your rebuttal. You're not assuming what they mean, <laughs> but you're actually listening to yeah. the words you're, you're really hearing. And that is love that is patient, is giving your full self to the moment. Mm-hmm. The moment's going to come and go with or without you. Yeah. So to love with love that is patient, you are totally there, right there and only there. You know, I have a notepad on my desk that says, what if I started and what if I stopped? And as you were talking, I thought, you know, it would be great if people would just say, what if I started accepting and loving everyone as um, without question, you know, and what if I stopped prejudging people before I even get to know them? I love that. I love that. And it's so true. I mean, that's sort of the arc that covers all yeah. the words of, of love is that there is no judgment. There's no room for racism or discrimination yeah. of any kind. And you allow people to be who they are, who they're created to be, because it's not, we can't change people. I mean, yeah. that's something I've learned in my years is you can't yeah. change anybody. Yeah. And so to love people where they're at for who mm-hmm. they are, and let yeah. people be who they are without trying to fix them <laughs> <laughs> all the time, right? Without giving all kinds of unsolicited oh, advice. Oh, gosh. Just let people be who they are is uh, freedom. I mean, yeah. it's just total freedom. I think a lot of people in the dating age, that's advice they should have. Because I remember when my oldest daughter was in her um, late teens and every boyfriend she had that was the wrong guy it was because she was trying to fix them. There was something about them that she knew she could fix. And it's like, well, but why? You know, find somebody that you don't need fixing. <laughs> <laughs> they might not want to be fixed. Yeah, well, most, most of the time they didn't even know that they needed fixed. <laughs> right, right. But it was so it was kind of her to point it out to them. <laughs> no. Oh, gosh. All right, this has been great. I have one question that I always ask, and it's what advice would you like to have given to your 20, 30 year old self? I, I would have told myself to cool it, to, to let people truly be who they are and recognize the beauty in everyone. Yeah, for sure. That's beautiful. Okay. Time for rapid fire. What is your next generate or next? I can't even talk. Next destination going to be uh, Florida. My daughter's getting married at Disney World. Oh my goodness! Congratulations! <laughs> a summer you. wedding at Disney. Disney Disney wedding. Yeah, oh, you better take a fan. <laughs> August. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. it's like four a.m. You know, the coolest time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, make it in the animal kingdom. And so you just want to see all the animals coming out and feeding. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What is the best part that you found of writing a book? The therapy that it brought, the healing that it brought and the education. Yeah. And I think you really gave a great example of the fact that that next book you have in you is just Um, can be easily accomplished by just journaling every day, your feelings, your thoughts. Mm -hmm. A great example. How do you stay focused? I've had to practice that (laughs) a whole heck of a lot. 
that did not come natural to me with my type A father. But uh, so I've, uh, I stay focused <laughs> because I have practiced to do it. And now I know how. Awesome. What would you like to be remembered for? I would like to be remembered as someone who showed the world how to love. Oh. Awesome. When I say Haiti, what comes to mind? Hard. It's so hard. And it's so hard right now. Uh, I, I know someone who just got, I know someone and their family who just got kidnapped. I mean, it's, things are not good in Haiti right now. Yeah. And I just. And they've really, through the years, have had hard times and then they recover and then hard times. Mm -hmm. And they're such lovely people. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that that's the thing is they're yeah. wonderful people yeah. in a land with very little opportunity. Yeah. All right. It is time now for us to share my screen so we can give the folks online as well as those of you that are listening in the audio, I will give you her contact information as long as I don't start coughing. Okay, so here you see her email address, which is k-s-o-r-r-e-l-l-e at gmail.com. That's k-s-o-r-r-e-l-l-e at gmail.com. And you can visit her website, which is https colon forward slash forward slash www.kimsorrelle.com. So first name, last name. So www.kimsorrell.com. She's everywhere <laughs> on Instagram, Facebook. And as you can see, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn. So you can search by her name to find her, or you can take a screenshot of this and get it. Those of you that are listening online, just go to her website. I'm sure the links to all of these social medias are on that website. Kim, I'd like for you to just tell them about your free gift. Yes, I have a 14-day love challenge, and it is right on my website. And you go in, and if you sign up for it, I will send you a free WW. LD, what would love do wristband <laughs> in the color of your choice. There's colors to choose from, but I would love to send you one and love for you to be a part of the 14 day love challenge. Awesome. That is so very cool. All right. So it is time for us to say thank you so much for being such a wonderful guest, sharing your story, sharing your tips about how we can maybe get in better connection and understanding of love. Love is so important in our lives. And you, you know, really shared to us about the importance of community, of active listening to people, to stay focused, to make an impact in what we do, what we say. So please go ahead to her website, take, a, take advantage of getting that 14-day challenge, and also to connect with her, ask her questions. On her website will also be the links to her books, check out her books. They're on Amazon. So definitely, if uh, Kim, if you want to give them again, the names of the two books. Yes. Cry Until You Laugh, 
is the first one and love is is okay. the second one and i'm literally the only kim sorrell spelled my way in the entire <laughs> world because it has way too many letters so <laughs> so until next time please remember life is a journey and it's up to you to enjoy the ride this is vicki nethling signing off thank you for tuning into the find your leadership confidence podcast with vicki nethling where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast.